Well, good morning, everybody. Honored to have you here and a part of Oasis Church this morning. Thank you for coming. We know you're going to have a better week. And I want to hear how your week's better because you planted yourself in the house of the Lord this morning. I thought I'd share a funny story with you. So I heard about this man that was always late for work. He was always, always late. So here he was again, another day late. So his boss called him in and said, okay, what's your excuse today? Why are you late? He said, listen, it started off good. My wife told me she really wanted to give me a ride to work. And I said, honey, I can't be late. I can't be late. And she said, it's okay. I'll take 10 minutes to get ready. I'll get you to work on time, no problem. He said, okay. So sure enough, she gets ready in 10 minutes and they get out the door and he's on his way to work. Well, all of a sudden he gets stopped at the drawbridge. The drawbridge is raised. And so he has to jump in the river. He swims across the river. He's fighting off alligators and piranhas and sea urchins. And he gets to the end of the river. And finally at the end of the river, there's a helicopter waiting for him. He jumps in the helicopter. The helicopter flies him all the way to his office building. He gets on the roof and then he walks 60 stories down into his office. And here I am, sir, I'm barely that late. And so the boss says, do you really expect me to believe that? And he says, well, yes, I do, because it's true. And the boss said, there's no way that could be true. No woman gets ready in 10 minutes. That's funny. Hey, it's true. You should see the Steelman household on a Sunday morning. It's brutal. It's rough. It takes Joey hours to wash his hair. Hours, hours. So I want to read to you out of the book of Titus this morning. Would you stand this morning as we read God's word today? I want to talk to you this morning on a topic called uh, when your works don't work. What do you do when your works don't work? When you think you've done everything right, you think, I, I've prayed so much and I've read my Bible and, and I've done everything right. How come my works aren't working? I'll tell you why. Because out of Titus chapter 3, the scripture says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works. Everybody say that. Not because of works. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you this morning that we are saved by grace. It is by grace that you have drawn us to you, Lord. We cannot earn our salvation. There is nothing we can do to get in right standing with you but accept your son. And we're so thankful for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Make sure you tell your neighbor they're looking beautiful today. Even if it's a man, they, they want to hear they're beautiful too. We're so glad that you're here today. You know, Oasis Church is a very eclectic church. We have a, a makeup of all different walks of life. We have every race represented here. It's wonderful. We have people here that have known the Lord for years and years and years and have walked with Him faithfully. We've got people that are new to the Lord, that are just growing in their faith. You know, our desire is that Oasis Church would grow based on people that don't come to church yet. We don't want to draw from other churches in the community. We want you to invite people that don't go to church and get them into the house of the Lord. And so our prayer is that as we meet new people that come to faith, that we're able to then help shape their foundation of faith. And as we do that, we want people to learn early on uh, that, that you can't earn your salvation. Uh, there's a trap that a lot of Christians fall into, and it's this works-driven trap. 
that if I pray so many hours a day and if I read my word and if I do everything perfectly right and if I, I do all the right works for God, then surely I will earn my salvation. Or take it a step further, if I work so hard for God, nothing bad is going to ever happen to me. But when you have a mentality that is works driven, when something bad does happen in your life, because Jesus told us we're not promised a trouble-free existence. He said in this world, you're going to have trouble. So when that trouble does come to us, if we're a person that is so driven by our good works that we do, when that situation comes that's difficult, we begin to doubt God. We begin to wonder if he's even there, if he's even real, if we're even saved because we were drawn by our works. But this morning, we're going to look at that it's not enough to just do good works and, and be a good Christian. It's, 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 it's a heart accepting the grace of God. So this morning, the scripture I want to look at is in the book of James. It's not a scripture that you put on your fridge to memorize. It's one of those scriptures that you read and you kind of go, oh, I don't really want to read that out loud. I was preparing this message earlier in the week and I, I couldn't have known what was going to transpire in our family's life this weekend. And so I come to you as somebody who's not just flippantly reading the scripture and expecting you to do something that I'm not expecting of myself this morning. So the book of James chapter one says this, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect effect. That means let what God's trying to work in you through this trial, let it, let it do it. Let it have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. That is a hard scripture to swallow, right? That if I allow myself to walk through this difficult season, if you allow yourself to walk through whatever season it is that is hard for you, you can come out of that season not deficient in anything, anything. That means you will have all that you need from that season. You know, growing up in an abusive home, like I did, as most of you know, I grew up in a, with an alcoholic father. And so growing up that way, I had a shattered childhood. And I, I would have remained shattered if not for God, if not for his work of grace that he did for me on the cross. But what you have to know this morning is that what Jesus did on the cross will mean nothing to you and your freedom if you don't allow it to. There has to be a participation here between us and God's grace for that grace to have its perfect work in our lives. If I'll cooperate with God, he will do a perfect work in an imperfect person. So we're talking this morning about joy, having joy in the midst of our trials. There's a scripture in John chapter 16 that Jesus shares. He said himself, I tell you the truth that you will weep and you will mourn over what's going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she's brought this new baby into the world. There's nothing like that feeling of having that new newborn baby after the pain of labor. Right, ladies? Where are your ladies at? You know that's to be true. I remember when I had my first child, uh, I was in my older 20s, later 20s, so you'd think I would have been prepared, but as a result of my upbringing, I was terrified to have children. 
because I didn't think I would be a good mother because the way that I grew up, I thought I just won't know what to do with my kids. I won't raise them right. I'm sure I'll mess them up and, and I won't be a good mom. And so I already had these fears swirling about for many, many years uh, before I ever had kids. But by God's grace, he obviously thought I would do okay. So he gave me two beautiful baby girls. And so my oldest is now almost 14 years old. And so when I was having her, I was a week overdue. And I found out that I had to have a cesarean section. I couldn't have her the normal way. And so as I was laying on the table, the operating table, I remember I was super scared. I didn't know what to expect. I was, I was so afraid of of even having a baby. I didn't know what I was going to do with her when she came out. Like, can the nurses come and live with me? I was really hoping they would, but they wouldn't, which I thought was really rude. Um, and so I'm thinking, all these things swirling in my mind. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm, I'm on this operating table. I've never done this before. And so then finally, once they get going, they allow Joey to come in and sit by my head just right there while, while the operation's happening. And he comes in, and I'm just like so, so, so scared, right? So you think he's going to come in, comfort me. Oh, you doing okay? You all right? No, he starts hyperventilating. He's like, <gasps> I can't breathe. I can't, I can't breathe. He's looking at the anesthesiologist. Y'all just, is this normal? I can't breathe. And I'm like, just... <laughs> I'm on a table, just, just laid out here, but you're good. You never prepared for childbirth, no matter how it happens. And you're never prepared for that wonderful feeling when you look at that newborn baby that God blessed you with. It's a tremendous amount of joy that you can't even put into words. So this morning, we're going to look at two words. We're going to look at the word joy, and we're going to look at the word anguish. And you're going to be amazed at how these words can coincide in the life of a believer's life. The word joy that, that James refers to when he says to count it all joy, the Greek translation and the definition of that, it means to have a wonderful sense of contentment. So James is saying in your tribulation, you can have a wonderful sense of contentment. It also means you can have ecstatic joy in him. Have you ever had a moment frozen in time where you just felt that joy? You felt it all over you? I have two significant moments in my life. For some reason, I remember them. They're in my memory forever because I had the same exact feeling in these moments. As I shared earlier, growing up in an abusive situation, our home was so disheveled all the time. And so I grew up a lot older than I needed to. And I had responsibilities on myself as a nine and 10 year old little girl that most kids that age shouldn't have. And so I remember there was a moment when I was about nine or 10 and I was playing freeze tag with all of our friends in the neighborhood. And I remember feeling like this is so much fun. I am playing tag like a regular kid. I'm not worried about anything. I was just playing tag. And it was such a good time. And I remember I had to go potty. So I took a potty break. And in that moment, I remember thinking, this is so much fun. I just don't want this to ever end. I love playing tag. So forgive me for saying potty. My children get on my case all the time. Mom, we're old enough for you to stop saying potty now but I can't stop saying potty. But you know what? I don't feel bad because my husband just said sucks about 50 times. I can say potty. Hey, you get what you get with the Steelmans. You like us or you don't. <laughs> we are who we are. Speaking of potty, Joey and I were at Chipotle recently, and uh, we're sitting in Chipotle, and he had to use the potty. And so he went down the hallway, and this particular Chipotle, it only had one, you know, one restroom. And so he was waiting in line, and then this other man came up. And so Joey said to the other man, he said, oh, I'm sorry, did you need to use the potty? <laughs> 
And so Joey walks back to me, absolutely mortified. And I said, what's wrong? What happened? And he goes, I just asked a grown man if he had to use the potty. <laughs> That's a household of girls. He lives with girls. It's what happens. But joy, there's something wonderful about joy that we're talking about this morning. Biblical joy is attached to our eternity. When you know that you have eternity secured, you can have biblical joy. It doesn't matter how dark your season might get, eternity can't be stripped away from you. So no matter how your season, maybe it's a, 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 a trial, oh, I can get through this trial. Maybe it's a trial that you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this trial. It doesn't matter the severity of the trial because your eternity, it can never be stripped away from you. That's why James is saying, count it all joy. Have that sense of contentment because no matter what you're walking through, at the end of this is eternity. This is temporary. We're passing through this whole world. This is not our resting ground. So I can have a sense of contentment even though I'm confused, even though I don't know what's happening, even though I, I, I'm not feeling overjoyed right now, I can be contented to know that I have a home waiting for me in eternity. What must it be like Jesus as our heavenly father when we actually, as his children, begin to take him at his word? And we actually begin to believe what the Word of God says. And we actually begin to do what the Word of God says. Can you imagine how he must feel when he sees us be that way? And then when he walks us watch, when he sees us go through a difficult trial, and he watches us stop and remember the joy of our salvation. Can you imagine what that must do for his father heart toward us? You know, if you think of the, an infant, when an infant is born, they can't focus on you. They, 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 it takes them weeks to be able to focus and then as they get a little bit older, about five, six, seven weeks, they start to laugh and giggle and it's just, they're so cute. And then as, as they grow into toddlers, they just start kind of, you know, sloppily running everywhere. And they're so excited when they see you, they just run to you with such abandonment. They don't care how you're going to provide for them. They just know that you're going to provide for them. And so they run to you excited. Could that be a picture of what biblical joy is? That when we see our Father, God, I don't know how you're going to provide for me. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this. But I'm going to run to you with abandonment because I know you're going to figure it out for me. I know that you will. Biblical joy. Biblical joy is maybe you have had the worst day ever. Maybe you like took a road trip straight to hell. You bought yourself a, a t-shirt while you were there. You got a bumper sticker. And then on your way back, you got a speeding ticket. And then you just had this horrible, horrible day. But in the middle of that horrible day, you stopped and you said, God, thank you for the grace that got me through this horrible day. Lord, I thank you that I have salvation as my joy. That's what biblical joy is. When we're able to stop and give him a sacrifice of praise. You know, the Bible tells us to give God a sacrifice of praise. Why is it a sacrifice? Because sometimes our human flesh does not want to do that. We don't want to stop and praise. We want to stay stuck in our head. We want to stay feeling our emotions. We want to stay angry. We want to stay mad. But when you stop and you give that sacrifice of praise, you can't imagine what's happening in the supernatural realm when you do that. When you force yourself out of your slump and you begin to verbalize some praise to the Lord. It's powerful. You know, until our worship costs us something, it will not break anything. 
You can stay quiet, you can stay in your funk as long as you want to, but that's exactly what you'll do. You'll stay in your funk. But until you begin to realize that faith is the currency of heaven, and so as I begin to activate my faith and I begin to call out those things that are not as though they were, I begin to speak the word of God over my situation. As I do that, can you imagine what's happening in the heavenlies when God is saying, wait a minute, what? What? Yeah, I know, I know she's going through a hard time right now. I know she's really struggling. Wait a minute. Is she praising me? What's that I hear, angels? I, I think she's praising me. Go, 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 go. You fix that situation. You mend that, you mend that situation that she's in. Why? Because you're activating that faith, that currency of heaven. So the opposite of joy then is anguish. What I talked about out of the scripture in John 16, when Jesus said, you're going to feel that anguish, but it's going to give birth to something. Now, to give you an understanding of what this anguish is that we're speaking about this morning, it's always a physical pain or a suffering or a physical situation, but it's mixed with a mental torment. It's mixed with a, a mental side of things where, where there's anxiety attached to it or there's depression attached to it or there's just racing thoughts attached to a, a literal situation. That is a feeling of anguish. You know, the enemy tries to put that on his believers. He tries to cause you to feel heavy and overwhelmed and full of anguish. You know, as a believer in Jesus, we always face attack from the enemy. We always face attack from him. He wants nothing but the bad for us. He wants to thwart us just as God has his perfect will for you. You have to know the devil has his will for you too. Things he'd like to see you get involved in. And so he comes along life's journey. He tries to throw different daggers your way. But I believe as you become a believer that starts to grow in the word and you start to believe the word and you start to do the word and you live the word, I think your target gets a little bit bigger for the enemy and you face a little bit more attack. You know, trying to build the city center over these past few years, you would not believe the level of attack that the Steelman family came under for just trying to help the community because the devil didn't want it. He did not want a center uh, in, a, in a part of town that desperately needed it. He didn't want to. We have 1,500 teenagers right now. Do you think he wants them safe off the streets? No, he doesn't. And so he tried everything he could to thwart that plan, but no weapon he formed prospered and that city center got built. But I share that to say, you wouldn't believe the areas of attack. If I told you, you'd be like, that sounds ridiculous. And it was, it was crazy. But having said that, I know the areas of attack that I've watched Joey go through. I know the areas of attack I've watched my children have to go through. And I know the areas of attack that I've walked through. But because I'm the woman in my home, I'm the influencer in my home, like ladies, that's what we are, we feel a little bit of everybody's attack in our home. So ladies, we have to gird up even more because we're feeling it from all angles. Anguish. What can cause anguish? Guilt can cause you to have anguish, regret. Oh, there's nothing like regret causing that anguish over your mind. Um, a bad family history can cause anguish. Resisted conviction when God's telling you to do something, that causes anguish. Um, there's just a mental torment that's attached to anguish. Has anybody ever felt that before? I bet that you have. The word anguish, it, it means to crush, to press, to compress, and to squeeze. So if you've ever felt any of those things, you know what I'm speaking about this morning. But joy and anguish, they're two words you normally wouldn't think could go together. But in the life of a believer, they can. And I want to show you how they do. 
Because you have to know this morning that you can't work for your joy. You have to know that you can't work for God's grace. You can't work for his love. You can't work for his mercy. You can't work for God to do anything. You cannot work for it because you are not in control. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not in control. You're not in control. And all the women said, but just let me try. But just let me try a minute. I'll do really good at it, I promise. Couple of connections I wanna look at briefly this morning between joy and anguish. Are you receiving this this morning? All right. The first one is this, anguish and joy, they can coexist. They can coexist together. The scripture we read in James, of course, it said to count it all joy, no matter what you are going through. But it's found again in Romans when Paul is talking about being in unceasing anguish over people not knowing the Lord. He was in anguish over it, but he's the same guy that said rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He also said in 2 Corinthians, in all of our trouble, my joy, it knows no bounds. So there you have it. He's got anguish and he's got joy, both emotions intermingling. The second thing is this, anguish and joy, they can trade places. We're told in the book of Isaiah that God wants to give us beauty instead of ashes. That's a trade. He wants to give you the oil of joy instead of a spirit of despair. That's a a trade. He wants to give you a garment of praise. It's a trade. So you can trade places. And then in John chapter 16, again, we're told of that trade, that the anguish gives way to joy when that new baby comes. The third connection I want to look at this morning is that the source of your anguish can actually turn in to joy. The source of your trial, the source of your difficulty, the source of your hardship can actually be something that God turns into joy. It's as if the roller coaster of your life that was so horrible kind of slides into the dock there. And when it does, it becomes a source of joy. Psalms chapter 30, verse 11, King David, he said, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. That is a complete change. The Hebrew word for it is hapak, and it means to convert or to change. That word is all throughout scripture and it's in connection with acts of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says, uh, but, but God turned the curse into a blessing. Listen, when you've gone through something really, really rough, you have to know that according to scripture, God can take that very thing and he can turn it in to one of your greatest blessings. Very often, sometimes our greatest pains turn in to our greatest blessings. If you've ever noticed people that go through abuse, they often become uh, advocates for justice. People that go through a, a, a life-altering sickness, right? They become very passionate about initiatives uh, to try to prevent that sickness. People that go through a dramatic weight loss, they try to become passionate about what helped them get there. Philippians, Paul gives us the key. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus, he says, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, what I went through, I know it's gonna turn out for my deliverance. This is the mentality we have to have as believers. We can't have the mentality that says, if I work hard enough, God will deliver me. If I pray hard enough, God will deliver me. If I give enough, he'll deliver me. If I do enough, he'll deliver me. No, 
Paul says it right here, that what's enough is that the spirit of Jesus Christ is gonna cause this thing to turn out for my deliverance. My last point is this, number four. Uh, Pat, if you'd come back. As the scripture said in John chapter 16, that that anguish would lead to wonderful joy when that birth was born. Anguish, trials, difficulty, pain, it is always meant to give birth to something. It's meant to give birth to something in us. Old Testament and New Testament, there's something wrapped up in this metaphor of childbirth all throughout the Bible. Something good out of something bad. If we can trust God with our bad, can you imagine what God can birth out of that situation? But if you and I have a works-based mentality and we think we have to earn our way to God, we have to earn Him to do good things, we have to earn His love, if that's where we come at and we work so hard for God, when a difficult season comes, we, we rebel, we stomp our feet, we start saying all manner of crazy things. Why'd God leave me? Why hasn't God come through for me? We begin to doubt our salvation. Why? Because we've become like the Israelites. They wandered and wandered and grumbled and complained and they didn't get to see the promised land. They didn't get to give birth to what was promised. Or will we just trust him? All of this labor, all the labor you're feeling, yes, it hurts. But what if you're just at the right time? What if you're just about to give birth to something wonderful? You know, if you've been asking God to deliver you from something, to get you out of a situation and he hasn't done it yet, you have to hear this morning, it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's not because he's harsh or he's trying to teach you a lesson. No, it's because you don't know where you're falling in the timeline of his miracle. And you don't know when that thing is about to give birth. You don't know when that situation is about to turn into deliverance. I love the story in the book of Exodus when Moses is leading the Israelites in the wilderness. And the Bible says they haven't had anything to drink for three whole days and they are thirsty by now. They come upon this body of water and can you imagine their excitement at seeing this body of water? They finally get to drink only to find out that this body of water is bitter water. So they can't drink it. And so they named that body of water Mara. It means bitter waters. So the Israelites complained to Moses. And then Moses in turn says, the scripture says, he cried out to the Lord. And then God showed Moses a tree. And Moses picked up that tree and he threw it into the water. And God miraculously caused that tree to make that water sweet. Now all we're told is that Moses cried out to the Lord. We don't know what that conversation was. Could it have been this way? Could Moses have said, God, I have worked for you for years. I've led these Israelites. They're grumpy. They're fighting. They're unhappy. I have led them for years, God. I've worked hard for you. I've done all of these things. I've worked, I've worked, I've worked. My works aren't working anymore. Was that his frustration? Because he had two options. He could have done that or he could have reviewed his history with God. And I believe he reviewed his history with God. 
I believe Moses had to remember all the other lessons that God had taught him. Moses had to recall the Red Sea being parted and the people safely walking through. Moses had to recall when his rod was turned into a serpent. Moses had to recall uh, God manifesting himself in a burning bush. Moses had to recall God leading them with a cloud by day and with a fire by night. Moses had to recall all the times that God consistently dropped manna from heaven feeding the people on their journey. So as Moses reviewed his options, he remembered how good God had been. And that's exactly what you and I have to do. We've got to review our history. We've got to take a rewind for a minute and look at how good God has been to us. If God has delivered you from something before, He's going to deliver you again. If God has restored that relationship before, why don't you think He can do it one more time? If God has healed your sick body once before, don't you know He's going to do it again? If he, has, if he has calmed your anxious mind before, don't you know He can calm it again? If He's led you beside still waters and He's given you peace, don't you know He can bring that same peace back to you again? If He's protected your family before, He can protect your family again. If He has closed the mouth of the enemy before, He can close His filthy mouth one more time. If He did it before, He can do it again and again and again. Now, in closing, I want to give you one thing that you should not do. Now, Joey and I, we, we, we don't tell you what not to do. We like you to allow the Lord to lead you in your own life. But I'm going to tell you this morning one thing we are not to do. James says to count it all joy when you face trials. You know what we're not to do? What our human nature wants to do? We want to count it all misery. We, we, we go there. That's where our human nature goes. We go to the negative. We start our pity party, right? We start feeling sorry for ourselves as we're in this trial. And I don't mean to diminish a, a trial. I'm not making light of it. But we start to take our speech verbally negative down. And we start to speak out all of our negative emotions. We begin to verbalize our doubt. We're not counting it all joy. We begin to count it all misery. We count it all difficulty. We count it all doubt. We count it all pain. We begin to recount all of that. And when we do that, you're talking yourself in to the most worst mental place you could ever go. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. And it says the godly run into him and are safe. When you become a person that as you walk through a difficult season, you make the choice to review your history with God, that puts you in that strong fortress. You're godly. You run into that strong fortress and you're kept safe in the midst of your trial. You're kept full of this joy, this ecstatic joy you can have in Jesus. That's where it's found. It's in that fortress. But in the same token, we can do quite the opposite. And we can do what our flesh wants us to do. And we can start down that negative verbal road. And we begin to verbalize everything wrong in the situation. You have to know that as you begin to speak out all of the doubt, all the why, all the questions, you're just playing into the enemy's game. And he's just feeding it to you. Yeah, 
Yeah, you have worked hard. Yeah, you have prayed for hours and hours a day and God hasn't shown up. Yeah, that's right, you did give and God didn't come through. Yeah, that's right, you did, you did read your Bible for two hours and what's that gotten you? Friends, when you have that kind of verbal coming out of your mouth, you have now entered enemy territory, but yet you're expecting God to keep you safe in it. We have to be very careful what we allow to come out of our mouth. When we, friends, we create the environment we want, right? We can create the environment for the enemy to have his playground with our mind. And we can camp there and say, God, keep me safe. And he's like, well, I'd love to, but look at what you're saying. It's all manner of crazy stuff. Or we can create the environment for miracles to happen, right? Where we're like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. Lord, you've healed me before. I know that this sickness is nothing to you. Lord, I know I'm in a dark place today, but God, I trust you. You've done it before. That creates this environment for miracles to happen. And you get into that safe place because freedom will not come from anyone else's mouth but your own. We are responsible for what comes out of our mouth. We are responsible for creating our environment. Would you stand with me this morning? My final scripture is a scripture that I have allowed myself to meditate on all weekend long. And it's James chapter four, verse six. And it simply says this, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Whatever you're facing today, but he gives more grace. Are you in a dark season? But he gives more grace. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what to do, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He doesn't say work harder for me. He gives more grace. That's the beauty of our relationship with Jesus. He gives more grace. Have you ever met somebody that always has an excuse? When you try and give them advice, they're always like, well, yeah, but. Well, well yeah, but. And they always have a but. If you want a but, here's your but. This is a good excuse for us as believers. When the enemy comes to assault you, when the enemy comes to remind you what you're not, when the enemy comes to show you how ugly and dire your situation is, when the enemy comes to throw every manner of accusation at you, you say, yeah, but he gives more grace. Amen.